0: Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. James, all right. Hey, it's good to see you. I had lunch last Sunday with some friends after church, and uh, they've been to our church for a few times. And I was asked the question, like, "Hey, do you ever speak at Refuge?" Because of the three times that they've been here in the last two months, I hadn't been speaking. So it's really amazing that um, I get to speak. And so, if this is your first time hearing me, hello. My name is Brenton. And uh, I like the Bible, and I like you. So let's open it up together. So if you have a book called The Bible with you, whether one that has pages or one that's on your phone, or perhaps you're really cool and you brought your tablet today, um, you can turn to the book of James. We'll be in James chapter 1. But before we dive into that, and as you're turning there, I'll tell you a quick story that happened to our family on Monday night. On Monday night, we decided to go bring food to some people. Have you ever done this before? People that are hungry in life. And so this family just had the birth of a brand new baby happen in their life. And sometimes it's just fun to go drop off food. But we have an ulterior motive every time that we do this as a family. It's because we want to see a baby. So we want to remember what it was like. And we want to remember that we're not there anymore. So we were dropping this food off and just having a blast. But on the way to drop this food off, we actually passed this really large church. And it's a pretty famous church in Orange County. And the design of the sanctuary building actually like kind of comes up to a focal point in the center. And if you've been around pastors before, been around like people in the ministry, what they call it, or church work, um, that church is famous because one of the pastors that was there decades ago. So it's like on everyone's map. You're like, oh, I've got to go check that one out. And uh, because of this famous building, like this thing. And we always used to refer to it as the rapture Shoot. Um, which may, make, may or may not make sense to you right now. But we, I just enjoyed saying that, like, oh, man, they've got a rapture shoot. How cool is that? And uh, my wife, as we're driving by, noticed that they were doing work on the roof, and she's like, look, they're fixing the rapture shoot. We have my three kids in the back, and they're like, what's the rapture? You're like, all right, I guess we're doing this right now. What is the rapture? And even for, for some of you, if you just want a quick reminder, there's a theology out there that says, like, hey, when God comes back, when he's going to send his son the second time, there's going to be a judgment. And, and for the good believers, this is the theology out there, you will be raptured out before the judgment of the world will begin. And so we have, and I say we, this collective we, because Christians have done this, and it's not always our brighter moment but we have really sold people fire insurance, like get out quick and make sure you're in heaven before the destruction comes. So we're sharing this with my, with my group of kids in the car and they're like, huh. Is that really what it's all about? Like, we just got to get out of this place? And you're like, I know, it sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, if we read the words of Jesus, I feel like he's talking about a lot of other things. He's not really worried about rapture. And actually, the word rapture doesn't really show up in scriptures. So um, I'll talk about that at another time because don't get me on that high horse. Um, because, okay. Anyway, but I love their question of, well, what's the point of it all? That's really it. And if you're like me, you got to have that in the focal point of your life. Because otherwise, showing up at church or hanging around with Christians or even giving God a chance sometimes can seem like a waste of time. Like, what's the point of it? What are we doing this for? And so then I asked my kids this question, like, hey, do you know what Jesus talked about more than anything else? And some people will be like, ah, money, and you're like, mm, okay, what are your issues? It wasn't that? Um, he talked about hell, and you're like, I don't know. You're like in the rapture group. That's cool. What did he talk about the number one thing overall? Like this, just remember this when you're playing, you know, like quiz night sometime with some friends, perhaps, and it's going to show up on a random question. What did Jesus talk about the most? And he talked about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Different language. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, interchangeable terms. Because if you remember, when Jesus shows up on the scene, when he's walking around life, interacting with people all over the place, he actually said to them, the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's not because he is the kingdom, he starts the inauguration of this kingdom. And he's letting people understand that God has always had this plan of bringing redemption and renewal to the world. It's not to get out of this place. We're not trying to get out of this place. We're actually here to see the kingdom come to fruition in our lives. And each of us know when the kingdom is active. It's because you, you experience it. You experience it when truth happens. You experience it when justice happens. And you're like, oh, that's it. That's what the kingdom's all about. It's those really deep, guttural things in our lives that we crave and we don't always see. Because this world and this world that we live in isn't different than the world 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth. This world can be messy i even loved briley earlier when he was leading us into that last song and he said sometimes living in a community is like a sticky situation just reminded me of these times that we would go to disneyland with our kids and we'd try to ride the winnie the pooh ride and we would show up and it would be canceled and if you like closed winnie the pooh to some like really little kids that's the end of their world and they had these signs up and like it's a sticky situation and you're like yeah it's like life it's a sticky situation the ride's closed today That just made me think of it brightly, so thank you. (laughs) Because life isn't all that easy, and it's hard, and it's weird, and and some of us would say this world that we live in is messed up. And we don't get it sometimes. We're like, how in the world is God real if it's like this? So if Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven the most, then apparently his disciples and his followers who write the early pages of Scripture— we're committed to telling the stories that bring the kingdom near and so when we peer into the book of james this letter that james wrote it opens up some really good phrases some some one-liners some tweetable moments if you will that we might have heard before but it's helpful to look at it in a new way even on a day like today so let's open up the book of james together you're like why do you have two books because i want to show off today i have a bible And I have the works of Josephus, because I'm reading a lot right now, because I'm going to take a class in a couple weeks, and I'll tell you more about that later. But I have to, I mean, just look at that. That's like a thick, thick book, right? And Josephus will come up, hopefully, if I remember to tell the story as we read through the book of James. Okay, when you read James, you've got to ask questions of any portion of Scripture. Who's writing it? Why are they writing it? What are they writing it to? We're going to dive right into verse 17, So that means we skip the first 16 verses, but there's a pretty important verse that happens in verse 1 because it tells us who James is writing to. But before we get there, who is James? And most scholars would say there's four options. Four options of James's that get mentioned in the New Testament. It's a pretty common name. As you can imagine, it's still common to this day. You might even have a friend named James. I don't know what you think about that friend, but don't put that on this guy. Okay, So you got these four guys in the New Testament that are mentioned as in the names of James. Well, one of them is the apostle. And it's tough to say that it was him that wrote this because most scholars would agree that that apostle died too early for this to be written because the evidence that we have of the timing of the date of this letter would be after that James' death. So you're like, okay, so just by mere association, we can put James this one off into that corner. And then there's the other two Jameses that we would consider almost the same. you are like... They were Jameses, yes, they had that name, but they didn't rise to the prominence or stature in the church community that would have allowed them to write a book like this or a letter like this that would have been accepted by people saying, yeah, yeah, we need to include that in scripture. So you take those two Jameses and you put them off to the side as well. You're like, okay, so now we're left with the last James that's mentioned in the New Testament, and this is where most scholars would say, yeah, yeah, this is it. This, this James is often referred to as the brother of Jesus. And so you're like, really? Jesus had brothers? Yeah. And it's mentioned in other portions of Scripture. It's brought up in the book of Matthew at times. It's brought up in the book of John. Luke mentions it. Um, There's moments, if you remember the story of Jesus, even when he's nearing the time of his death, that his mother and his brothers will show up, right? And James, we're told, didn't believe who Jesus said he was before Jesus died on the cross. So you're like, go to that family party, You're like, hey, just hanging out. Hey, what's up, James? He's like, shut up, Jesus. I don't believe you, right? Like, I mean, just that's where he started things out. He's like, don't even look at me. But James's tune changed the moment he noticed that his brother died and was resurrected from the grave because that is the whole reason for good news that even this Bible comes to fruition, the New Testament for us because the story of Jesus is it. It's everything. It is the crux moment for us all. And so this James that we're talking about, this brother of Jesus, actually, there are four half-brothers of Jesus. You know, like, why half-brothers? And some would say, well, because maybe Mary married again. We don't know that one to be sure. But they also refer to these four brothers as half-brothers of Jesus because if you remember the story from Christmas, it wasn't Joseph, right? Right? We would have to go into more details. we cool with that? Okay, so it was like this virgin birth. We even sang a song about it today. I believe in the virgin birth. This idea that Mary would become pregnant even without having the kind of usual things that would go on in a marriage relationship that would bring about a kid. I'm saying that very like surface level, depending on who's watching online, and I know there's some kids in here right now. So just, we'll keep it right here. So this, these half-brothers, and James is mentioned, and he's mentioned first, which most people would say he's probably the oldest of the brothers. But James is also an early leader in the New Testament church. So you hear about people like Paul and Peter, like those guys, they were doing it. Like they were out all over the place just sharing the news of Jesus, seeing churches being birthed all over that New Testament world. Well, James hunkered down in the city of Jerusalem and he stayed there. He stayed there till the end. Actually, that's why... I even bring the works of Josephus, because not just because I'm just so excited to read the works of Josephus, it's because this actually is our most helpful guide for the early first century context, even in addition to the Bible. You're like, I'm only going to listen to the Bible. You're like, well, there is some truth that's being expressed here in Josephus that doesn't necessarily conflict with what's happening in the Bible, it actually brings it to life. There are details that Josephus shares because he was a Jewish scholar, a Jewish historian, and actually a Jewish Priest who wrote down the history of the Jewish people in that first century, and he augments and even brings to life some of the details that we have in scripture. So you're like, ah, oh, I can really stand. Yeah, you can. You can actually trust what's happening here. But Josephus tells the story of James's death in 62 AD. And so that's why most scholars would say this James that's writing right now would be the brother of Jesus, the one who died in 62 AD, because they would date this letter into the mid to late 50s. And I know many of you were concerned about that detail. And I wanted to give it to you, free of charge. Okay, verse 1, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it's with you if you have your Bible, you look at it. Who is he writing to? It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And he gives one word, he says, greetings. And he's going to write this letter to the 12 tribes Probably because he wanted his letter to have wide distribution. He wasn't writing it to one city like our friend Paul who might write to his friends in Ephesus and he gets a letter named the Ephesians or to his friends in Rome and that becomes the letter called the Romans. This one is just to the tribes, the 12 tribes that have been scattered. And that's important to note because in the Roman world at the time, the tribes of Israel did not hunker down into the areas that their tribes were supposed to have from when they were given the land way back in the day. Many of them, because of the rule of the day, whether it was the Greeks that came back with when Alexander the Great showed up on the scene, or perhaps when the Romans showed up, when Pompey decided to come into town and establish Roman rule in the area, many Jews scattered And this is the scattering that that James is talking about. These 12 tribes have been scattered all throughout the New Testament world. And he's writing to them because they are still trying to figure out, can they hold on to the faith in the midst of being scattered so far from Jerusalem where the temple is? Because if the temple is near you, you know that's where God is. And for many of the Jews who live far out in neighboring countries wonder, do they still have it? And so James is writing, hoping to get their attention and say, hey, you are Jews, but I want to tell you the story about Jesus this half-brother of mine that I didn't believe all the time until he was risen from the grave. All right, so that's the greeting. That's who he's writing to. And we're going to jump into exactly verse 17, like I told you earlier. And this is what James has to say for us today. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. All right, let's push pause there real quick. A lot of words. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. James is writing to his Hellenistic brothers and sisters who are always trying to grapple with where does the power of the gods come from? Because for them... They always saw, well, if you could put the sun in the sky and if you could put the moon at nighttime and you see these stars when the sky is black, whoever did that must be in charge of it all. And so he's writing to their Hellenistic imaginations of if that's where power comes from, let me tell you where the good things come from. The good things of life, these gifts that we get actually come from the Father of lights. He's the one who actually gives us birth. And there's this phrase that happens in verse um, 18. It says that we might become a kind of first fruits of all that he created. This imagery of first fruits is really important to remember because for the Jewish people, even up until the Jewish temple is destroyed in 70 AD, they still sent their first fruits regardless of where they lived, even Jews that were scattered. And this mean, the reason that they were scattered, like I told you, was trying to get away from Roman or even Greek rule. And it's called the diaspora. It's the dispersion of the Jews all throughout the area. And they would still send in, they would still mail in. I'm not sure if you've ever had this moment happen where someone sends you something from far away. You're like, that's what it's like. They sent their offerings, their tithes, if you will, to the temple area, even if they live far away. And they said, this is the first fruit of what God has given to us. And remember, the first fruit is God's. And so if James is saying that all of us who come from the Father of the heavenly lights and we have been given birth we are also known to be his first fruits, which means that we belong to God. That's a really important distinction. When you walk out of this place and the people are like, who are you? You're like, I'm actually God's. I'm God's kid. I'm God's son or God's daughter. That would change everything if I knew that in junior high and high school. That's for another day. And as he continues here, beginning in verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that's where our our reading ends today. A power-packed 11 verses where James is just unloading on the people of what's important. And You've got to imagine his aim in life. If he's trying to convey the message of Jesus Christ to his friends all throughout the empire and reminding them that regardless of who's in charge, whether it's Caesar or perhaps some other ruler of the day, that our actions and the things that we do really matter if we want to see the kingdom come to fruition if we want to see this movement that Jesus began at his life and his death then we also ought to consider how is it that we are guiding our lives or do we just look like this world around us and you remember even that last phrase from being polluted by the world all oh, that is so cutting because I wonder at times if I begin to resemble the world more than the kingdom And that's the choice that you and I have every single time that we wake up in the morning and we approach our day. Will I live according to the the world's rules, or do I live according to the kingdom's rules? And the kingdom's rules, even laid out here by James, are pretty practical. Like sometimes you approach scripture and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. But you get to people like James, and James is really, really honest. And really, really right at the point of be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I have often wanted to write those words down and give them to friends of mine that are always angry because it's always their issue. And then someone said, well, what if it's your issue, Brenton? And I'm like, quit talking to me. Because sometimes that's it, right? We can pronounce judgment on people so quickly, and we assume that we're doing God a service, like, if you would just give me a moment, God, I'd love to really set the record straight and let people know where they stand because the way that they're living is really ridiculous. And God's like, are you angry at them? When's the last time you listened? Because sometimes our anger boils up from a place that we don't actually know what's really happening. Do I know what's really happening? Am I slow to speak? Am I slow to get angry? Am I quick to listen? And this line that shows up in verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I uh, I took my daughter it was her birthday yesterday and her one desire in life, at least for yesterday, at least one portion of the day, was to go to this place called K1 Speed Zone it's where you get to have like go-kart racing they're racing they're having lots of fun, there's some bumps and you know, some moments and she was really frustrated that her brother was winning at certain times and she wanted to get in charge, you know, get in in front Um, and it just reminded me of like early driving lessons for myself, like getting ready to like take the wheel. And um, we're at the stage where next month our daughter has the ability to get her driving permit, our oldest, and you're like, oh man, that's, what is that going to be like? Do we even trust her? Like, right? Like, like who gives their kids keys at 16? That's crazy, right? You do it. And like, I remember I wanted it. I remember I got my driver's license, and I was a pretty good driver, um, pretty good. I remember being on freeways. Do you know these things? They're called freeways. And there's traffic. Have you ever encountered this thing called traffic? It's amazing. It's, it's all kinds of opportunities to work on your soul. Um, it's where patience is either in you or it's not. You get to figure it out in that moment. And I remember having these out-of-body experiences and just being caught in traffic on the 405 one point. I'm like, I would just love to just be able to like, have everyone get out of their car I could just stand on the side of the road and talk to them for a moment and yell at them and remind them that if they just use the right pedal, we will all be fine. Like I literally had this thought, I was getting angry at the people around me because they were driving so slow and so frustrating. And sometimes this anger that wells up so easily, and it's like a comical story, but how often we take anger and we go to really deep, dark places and we put people in categories. And we categorize them based upon our anger towards them, what they've done, what they've said, or perhaps how they have treated us. And because we place them in those categories, our soul is in prison with them just as much as we think they're in prison by themselves. And it's this anger that rises up, and you're like, are you never supposed to be angry well, of course not. There's moments in Scripture that we get a sense that God gets angry and there's this, that you're, you're fighting for righteousness. And there's a thing about being angry on behalf of someone else to fight for them. But then there's also just a, a really base place that we're at most of the time, I would say. Maybe it's just me. I might be here alone. Is that we're just angry at things that are happening. And we begin to lob mostly thoughts and perhaps words at people and in, and we're not resembling the kingdom at all. And this is as much for me as it might be for you, but when I read these words, I feel really guilty because I've let anger grow in places that it shouldn't. So when someone asked me this week, what if you're wrong? What if, it's, what if you see it? What if you're the one who's the issue? You're like, oh, that's, that's really tough to deal with because what if I am? What if I'm the one who harbors the anger that doesn't bring life? So maybe my question for many of us here today is, what are you angry about? That would be a fun group conversation. And by the looks of your eyes, I see that you're holding it. What are you angry about? Where is it that we have allowed ourselves to believe that I can be angry and God likes it? And actually, we see these words and if my anger doesn't bring the righteousness of God, and I want, to bring, I want to bring something different to the table. And as you walk through this passage and you see him um, mention things like, you've got to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. This is every pastor's plight in life. You're like, I want to be able to express something to you in a sermon. I want you to be able to leave this place and go change the world. Like, that's the hope. But if my kids are in the car and they're asking these questions about rapture, and we're like, well, what's the point of it all? And you're like, well, it can't just be about getting to heaven. That seems too easy. That seems like what we were trying to do back in the 90s. Um, It's got to be something more than that. If it's just this book that we say we're supposed to read, and we live in the place of, I'm supposed to do that, or I'm supposed to treat people with kindness, or I'm supposed to be not as angry, or I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, and the list is unending. And we're like, I don't even know where to begin in a book like this if we're going to be honest with questions and, and, and conversation. But if this word we say brings life, do we really inhabit it and allow it to bring the life that we say it does? Or do we just stay in our own zone and still get angry at the world? Or perhaps we let these words change us. And I think that's the ultimate goal, not just of pastors and churches, but even of the kingdom, that I would let the words of scriptures change my life. i like, well, does it? Can it? Well, if you consider what James is talking about here, this idea of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, that's like a good recipe for life. If you just did nothing else in life, that might be the thing. But why would we even want to do that thing? Well, because there was someone who came And brought the kingdom nearer because his life emulated what God was trying to do all along. And they decided that even going to death on a cross was where he was supposed to go. To give us the example that sometimes sacrifice brings life. So these words that we talk about actually can bring life. But James is saying, don't just be in theory a Christian, but be an actual Christian. And that is really hard. Because sometimes... I don't want people to know that I'm a pastor because of what I'm doing. And you're like, what have you been doing, Brenton? <laughs> like I will never, ever put a Christian sticker on my car because if I'm going 66, I do not want you to label me, right? Like, it's just, just like I just don't feel like that's helpful. Judge me if you will. But sometimes saying that you're a Christian out there actually put you on the hook to resemble christ and some of us want to keep that in the closet and just bring it out when we know it's safe and jesus is saying you got to live me all year long you got to live me all the time and when james is bringing it back up for all of us and he talks about how do you live don't just look at yourself quickly in the mirror and i feel like that's a really bad observation from this one because this doesn't make sense to us in our context We read that, and you're like, how in the world could you look at yourself in a mirror and forget what you looked like? Well, because back then, a mirror was a luxury. Most people didn't have one. No one had a phone that they're doing selfies with. Like, my kids are pained with so many pictures of them. And we're trying to grab it now, like, slyly, because they don't want to be caught on picture and camera. They know what they look like because they've seen it all along. Most people in this context, even poorer people, would never have had a mirror. And so when James is speaking, you're like, I don't really get what he's talking about. But some scholars would say that most people wouldn't see a mirror but maybe once a year, if even less. And so you can imagine how easy these words of James can go down. He's like, hey, if you just catch a glimpse of yourself and walk away and forget what you look like, that's kind of like reading the Holy Scriptures, the stories of Jesus, and forgetting them when it's inconvenient. You're like, oh, that too. That's hard. And we go to this last paragraph. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. Oof. Oof. I, I wonder if he was just forecasting like social media. But maybe he wasn't. I don't know. They don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And finally... Verse 27, where we we end things. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is James to the nth degree. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I wonder why he would have said orphans and widows. Actually, I I know why. Because the world that he was in, they were like trash. Trash. They meant nothing. They had no social standing. They had no money. They had no influence and no power. And oftentimes, we know so many people like that, whether we know them individually or we know them conceptually. There are people hurting all over this world who have no money, no power, no voice. And most of the time, they're either orphans or widows. And James is trying to give us a glimpse into the kingdom that says actually what God cares about are even those people. And we categorize them and we put them in place, and we're like, I don't know what to do with them because they have no power, they have no influence, I will never listen to them. And Jesus and James are reminding us their life still matters. So it's tough to say some lives matter more than others, but James is being pretty clear on what does. And if the kingdom matters to us as a community here at Refuge or anywhere else, then. I want to make sure that we don't forget the orphans and the widows, which, if you want to hang out with some foster care kids next summer, you should go to Royal Family Kids Camp. I mean, how easy and a great plug was that? That's cool. (laughs) i got to really admit to you something, though, that I had forgotten before this week the last part of that verse. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what religion that's pure looks like to God our Father is that we care for widows, we care for orphans, and that we don't let ourselves get polluted. He talks earlier in this passage about um, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. In other translations, it's beautiful language called get rid of that rank filth. And you're like, that's it. Rank filth is on Thursdays in my house when it's trash day. I don't know if you've ever lifted the trash can at times. You're like, whew. I don't know what got in there and died, but something did. And we put it on the street, and we're like, please take our problems away. And when the trash truck didn't show up on Thursday the way he was supposed to, and you're like, what? I have to keep my filth one more day? This is ridiculous. What are you doing to me, trash people? We want to get this out of our life. And the same thing is what James is saying. What's the filth inside? The dark spots on our soul, and perhaps even the things that guide our mind, that bring the filth and decay and... It's pollution that the world would give us. So when I read the words of James, I don't know about you, but I'm convicted. But not convicted in a way that I think I have no hope, but convicted in a way that wants me to live better the rest of today and tomorrow and every tomorrow that follows. Because this kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, that James talks about, and that we're reading about today in 2021 is still alive and well. We're still talking about Jesus. We're still proclaiming his name because his kingdom has come and is coming. It gives hope. It gives hope when there's people that are around us that have died. We have hope for what's to come because of the one who did come. And I want to live a life that matters. And so when I read these words, it brings conviction, but it's a holy and good conviction. And I wanted to share that with you because misery loves company. And I want you to go with me on this journey where we get to be together a better embodiment of who Jesus is to this world in this city, in this county, in this state, in this country, and all around. So with that, I want to pray with you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I pray for moments like this where when we gather on Sundays, it's not just a nice cozy time, but we can also have, have moments where we're convicted where we notice blind spots in our lives and things that we have done perhaps this past week or many, many past weeks ago. And not from a place that we just want to harbor our shame and feel guilty before you, but we know full well that you're the one who takes our filth, cleans us, and gives us hope for tomorrow. But this kingdom that you started is worth it because when your, your kingdom is at play... It means that justice and righteousness and ethics prevail. It means that goodness, the things that are really good in life, win. And we want your kingdom to be on display in our lives. So I pray for those in this room who, like me, feel like we need to probably um, make some adjustments and get another shot at life this week. I pray for the pains of the past. Some that so easily weigh us down and we wonder if we can have any standing in your kingdom. May today be a renewal day for us. You're the one who wipes the slate clean and gives us hope for new. But moving forward into the rest of today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows that follow regardless of how long we live on this earth. May we put your kingdom on display. May we lead with the righteousness that you're talking about and not be so quick like the world is to get angry, but may we listen. May we listen well and may we be slow to speak. Oh, Father, may we take these words from your scripture and put them into action and not just make them esoterical, theoretical exercises, but may we live boldly into a world that desperately needs you. That is what we can't wait to see happen. So would you use us this week? Would you be the one who gives our life new meaning as we head into this next week? It's in your holy name we pray, amen. And anyway, I want to invite you to stand and worship with our worship team one final time this morning. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at OC. We hope to see you again soon.